SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Hi folks and welcome to the new series of podcasts we're recording for SQL Down Under. These will feature SQL Server 2016 related topics and Power BI. I'd also like to draw your attention to a series of articles I've been writing for SQL Server Magazine, a series of data tales. I'll put a link in the show notes to those. But anyway, here's the show. Hope you enjoy it. Our guest today is Jen Underwood. Jen is a Microsoft Principal Program Manager for Business Intelligence and Analytics. She works with external groups, customers, channel partners, MVPs, BI professionals, and application developers to better connect the outside world to engineering. She previously held roles as an Enterprise Data Platform Specialist and a Business Intelligence Consultant for Big Four Systems Integration Firms. Through most of her 20 or more year career, she's been researching, designing and implementing data warehousing, business intelligence and predictive analytics solutions. Jen holds a business administration degree from University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee and a postgrad certificate in data mining from University of California in San Diego. So welcome, Jen. Well, thank you for having me. It's awesome to have you on the show. So listen, what I get, as everybody does first up, just tell us, like, how do you come to be in your, well, what was life before your current role and what's your role? Oh, I loved it. So I enjoyed being an independent and also consulting. So I've been an implementer for most of my 20-year career. can't believe it's been that long, but it really mm-hmm. has. And my eyeballs, I can tell I can't see anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the hint when I need to get my granny glasses out to see the menus now uh, that you're getting older. But essentially, mm-hmm. I've been in this field, SQL Server 6.5, so for the SQL Server folks, uh, is when I started to play with data. I fell in love with it and essentially, uh, let's see, got recruited by Microsoft mm-hmm. back in 2010 and did some field Build technical pre-sales and then moved into marketing. Now I'm uh, on the engineering side, providing guidance for the on-prem and the cloud solutions. Great, awesome. And so, in your so your current role, you're saying basically both on-prem and in cloud. The key things that we're looking at talking about today are. Uh, Power BI in particular. Now, that's gone through a number of iterations, uh, or, well, two main iterations. And so I suppose we should start for people that aren't using it all the time. So what do you see it targeted at? Like, who who is this for? This is targeted for the non-technical business user and a data analyst type user to be able to connect to data, explore, and get insights. From their mm-hmm. data, so build their own interactive you know, data discovery type reports. The BI professionals, and that's mostly my background, certainly embrace these tools and they provide the data warehouse 
or the architecture that empower the types of Power BI users to use this successfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, one of, one of the discussions I see come up all the time is they say we can just layer this over the top of existing databases and then you get the BI folk will say, well, yeah, but that doesn't give you a great outcome. And so what's your take on that? Yeah, it's true. So it doesn't have a great outcome. And the reason why are a lot of the application databases, as the DBAs will know, are not optimized to just point a data discovery type tool or report an ad hoc reporting tool at it and have folks understand what the field names are, what the data is inside the fields, all the things that don't make sense. And what really becomes painful is trying to do lots of analytical types of joins. Where it fails Mm -hmm. is when you have things we're called slowly changing dimensions over time. Being able to say Jen Underwood uh, went to the doctor and she had a cold, etc., and then come back and now she's Jen O'Brien or she's Jen Jones, and being mm-hmm. able to grab somebody's history over a, a, that whole that health record over the entire history of time, not just as their current name, but the legal name mm-hmm. over time. And there's many other instances where that might, would take place. So things like sales organizations, when you really want to look sales year over year, in the underlying application itself, it will give you the current state, and they may have the prior state, but it's really hard to get a comparable picture if you're just pointing these tools at it without having it in a dimensional model, a, a reporting-like format that's accounted for these slowly changing, called slowly changing dimension type two. There's there's actually several different types of these. Uh, and a lot of business users don't realize that. Um, so usability, accurately reporting data over time are probably the two biggest reasons why it will fail if it's not prepared for, for folks to play around with it. Yeah, to- totally agree. The, uh, the the things I find, that's right, is the the relational databases that people connect to, if they're optimised for transactional work, they, well, I mean, they, they're not going to be easy to navigate. <laughs> and, no, uh, yeah, but, the amount of joints you'd have to have, and I've seen some where people were resisting the data warehouse with 20, 30 joins, and you're saying, oh, well, it doesn't ever, because the query never completes, can you optimise my database? Yeah. No, you're not really. <laughs> you, you've gone too too far into the views world. So, the the alternative I hear from a number of others, of course, is to still build some sort of dimensional model. In fact, the the preference seems to be almost that uh, inside the analytic tools. I mean, effectively, it says select Aster from some view, and there's no other manipulation going on whatsoever um, inside the tool. Now, now, clearly, that's a lot of work uh, the, the other way as well. Um, but in amongst these tools, of course, we, we have what was Power Query originally mm-hmm. in Excel and now part of basically Power BI Desktop. Um, who, who do you see using that? So that would be a typical, say, a financial analyst, somebody that's maybe an operations-type analyst uh, in an organization that crunches data, that combines it. Uh, my husband did a lot of project cost controls for an energy company, and he was doing a lot of crunching, and I was trying to get him to, to embrace that tool as well. You know, People that were doing traditional VLOOKUPs and things like that, trying to match mm. up and merge data, and a lot of people – use that in the role. It's a matter usually of being aware that that tool is available to them. Uh, but those are the types of people tooling around with that. And again, you have the BI pros 
that if they know about it and they've been kind of a Microsoft fan all along, essentially those folks have embraced Power Query. They see the power per se in it. Yeah, I see a lot of people when I first show it to them who uh, maybe have spent time in integration services or something and they look at it and then they suddenly realize all the sorts of manipulation they can do so very quickly uh, and so much simpler and they, they realize that would replace half their packages, you know, in many cases. So I wouldn't say, yeah, so you can definitely replace packages. It's not an enterprise ETL tool by any mm. means. But, for instance, how I use it is to pivot and unpivot table. Uh, people give me data to provide a little POC or to get, to get to, to paint a vision on what could be accomplished with their data set with a sample. And just being able to pivot and unpivot and cleanse the data really, really quickly, that is where that tool shines so brightly. Mm. Uh, when it comes to operationalizing it, that's where things that are not quite there that an enterprise would want, failover, you know, checkpoints, rolling back, and being able to monitor the yeah. solution, that's where uh, uh, integration services still shines brightly. Yeah. I think the, the thing I like with Power, actually, Power Query is one of those tools that, uh, you know, I, I suppose been in the industry long enough to be pretty cynical and uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to be surprised by new things that come along. Um, but it's one of those few tools over the last couple of years I looked and I just went, you know, that's completely awesome, you know, when, when it arrived. And what's sort of interesting also is the M language underneath it. So I, I sort of see M as a, a manipulation language that can sort of do those data transformations. And Power Query originally was kind of just basically just a wrapper over the top of that M language. Yes. And what's funny is I think M is magical. Uh, but mm. I will tell you, Mavison, here's a fun, you know, for your audience. When he first introduced M to the inside sales and MCS and all the different Microsoft technical talent that come for these different internal training sessions, they booed him on the stage, like a massive boo. <laughs> uh, I think there's been certainly a turnaround, but why another language? Wait, now we have to know all of DAX, and, blah, 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 and they went on and on. Uh, so it was a ranting session, and, and certainly it's come a long way, and folks see it now. But, but it, initially we were a little worried because uh, it did not have the welcoming excitement mm. that it would have. Ah, oh, there you go. See, the minute I looked at it, I thought, that's awesome. The problem is, though, of course, is that those of us that uh, uh, love it, of course, want to see it used in so many other places, uh, and, and that's one of the challenges, too. So, look, and so hopefully over time, um, th this might end up in, I'm hoping, integration services or analysis services or just other areas where you can reuse that that same logic it yeah. will and I, I think and I'm not, I don't think I'm revealing anything NDA uh, but we do have in our roadmap to have that connectivity within reporting services that was didn't quite make the 2016 box you know the first mm. EA release cut it will be after that but we've certainly talked about that and I wouldn't be surprised if it's connectivity in other places we've mentioned yep. it before it's not imminent but it's certainly on our minds Yep. So look, so that I suppose when that appeared, so Power Query originally is an add-on for Excel, but now sort of baked into the Power BI desktop tooling as well. And so I suppose one thing we should sort of talk about is that originally a lot of these things were add-ons to Excel and still are, still still are there. Um, but then the Power BI desktop tool appeared, and so 
again. So what's your take on that and who that's targeted at and where do you see it going? Yeah, so let's talk about that a second. And it's really an interesting history there. Essentially, there was a big bet that Excel and, and Amir and Kamal and there were some other folks that were presenting the, the message in the story that all you need is Excel. And it would essentially everyone loves Excel. It, it, we thought uh, there was a bet that it would be the BOI killer tool, essentially, mm-hmm. to have all these powers within Excel. And then the market, you know, there was the market basically responded, and, and there a few different things happened. We had some awareness issues. I could still say even if I went last year and I showed what I thought was very, very cool, which was PowerView, mm-hmm. Excel 2013, and no one had even seen it before. Yep. And just it was buried in Excel add-ins, and folks didn't realize it. So we had that dynamic of awareness. We had the dynamic of partners, and that's been my background. That And when they explained it, it made a lot of sense to me that they had trouble justifying getting funding for projects to do work, to do services work on dashboards because it was Excel. When their yep. sponsors would go and, and ask for, you know, $250 an hour, $150, whatever the price per hour was for that consultant in the lump sum to do an Excel project, it would get reducted. So mm-hmm. they were starting to leave the ecosystem and going to ClickTech and Tableau and the mm-hmm. other companies where they can get billable work for their BI resources because people weren't buying the Excel uh, the Excel work. So they wanted to keep yeah. the talent, right? So they had to go where the market mm. was going. Uh, the other feedback we had directly from customers was it was too difficult to upgrade Excel in an organization for, for mm. everyone to be able to use those tools. It's very, very hard. And in fact, I had an interesting conversation with a group maybe about two weeks ago that still wasn't on Excel 2010, and, and it was still mind-boggling to me. So I asked a few folks around the world, and they said, yeah, we still have some folks on L3. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. It's 12 years later. So that was one, another challenge that blocked adoption in the market. Um, some other challenges that we had were the silver light, and that was a big bet. I remember Yes. Uh, I actually remember seeing Ariel Nuts soon after Silverlight was was chosen, and it became more apparent in the industry that HTML5 was the way to go. And he was so sad, and it was such a I felt <laughs> so bad for him. I mean, you could just see, you know, just the, the pure sadness in him. And mm. uh, that was a that was a massive uh, rewrite there in and of itself. And I think the team rewrote, you know, the, the product a few different times. Actually, it wasn't once. It was you know once for the yeah. Silverlight issue, once to get it, you know, standalone in reporting services, and then it was. The, the mandate to roll it into Office 365, and mm. you know, now we're coming back out of it, and oh my god! Yeah, well, originally, <laughs> we, it, originally it was the SharePoint add-in that's right in the, yeah. in the first place, and and then of course it ended up in inside Excel, and yeah, and so on. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they've obviously had like a five or six few times. Versions. So I think the team's really mm. really happy. We've locked. We have a wonderful HTML5 framework, yeah. and it's an open enough, enough framework for the community to contribute visualizations and functionality. So we're locked on it. They have a solid foundation, and it's the happiest I've seen this team in five Mm. years easy. So we're we're quite happy. So how did we land on desktop? I think this is even a fun conversation because even as soon as I got back to Microsoft, that was not necessarily the plan. And there was essentially – it initially was inside Excel. So this is kind of some fun scoop for your your podcast. Mm. It was initially side Excel still, but it was very awkward. 
So when you opened it up, it was like now you're in this whole another world of you know, totally different UI, totally different experience. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is awful. Um, so I provided my feedback. Other people had similar feedback to, to the engineers. And even the engineers that built it said, yeah, this isn't too good. But it was a massive coup on the leadership part to decide that it needed to be agile and flexible enough to be outside of Excel. The market was there for it and, and to split the design and the development outside of Excel for it to be its own standalone. So we can now have these massive releases each month with 40, 50 features being added. And that's even, you know, probably not even saying all the features that have been added while still maintaining some of the Excel capabilities. And what you'll see happening in this Excel, this is an interesting uh, tidbit as well. The data model is still there, Power Pivot. We're not necessarily calling it that. It's just baked yeah. in is the data tab now inside Excel, just baked in, as mm -hmm. well as the model itself. I think at one point the Excel team wanted to call it Excel Data Model. I don't know if that name was ever embraced. And Power Pivot, mm -hmm. such a wonderful name. And I think the community has certainly held on to that name. I, I know I have. So yeah. we're still calling it that, and it's in Excel. Power View is really the, the one that you're starting to see. It was hidden inside of Excel 2016. You'll start to see that. We're pointing folks to, to go to the desktop for those types of capabilities and building in the ability to import. And we already have that in desktop to import all those capabilities into that experience. So uh, mm. we're, we're migrating towards the desktop and to, to have the more agile build, to have a better experience for the user itself. And do you do you see the Excel add-ins continuing? Uh, that's what that's that's what I'm getting at. So they're really not added mm. in 2016. It's it's kind of hidden and baked in yeah. for the model. So the model's not going away, and the Power Query is certainly not going away. It's just called I think the Data Tab. Mm -hmm. And we have the ability to import that into Power BI Desktop. Eventually, we'll go both ways. You know, I, I would hope. Uh, what you won't probably see ever happen in Excel is that Silverlight being updated. So what you'll probably see yeah. is that Power View capability being taken out. But we are seeing on their side is, is they're investing heavily in their own just native Excel visualizations and mm. the Excel team and the Power BI team working together to make sure that the pinned ranges in Excel can be rendered in Power BI desktop and that these tools work yeah. together nicely because Excel is still the most popular BI tool in the world. Mm. Yeah, the, I must have been in 2016, that's right, the... Uh, a lot of people sort of noted that the power view uh, area is is well and truly sort of hidden when you yeah first first try that <laughs> yes I, I, and it <laughs> makes sense I mean you don't want people wanting to uh, start using it who weren't already doing so yeah, yeah yeah and so yeah so we've got the desktop tool now I suppose one of the things that surprises people about the desktop tool is that it's free as well yes it that surprised me. It really did. And when I think about it, and I think about the difference. So when I first came to Microsoft, it was Steve, Ball Steve Ballmer was at the helm. And mm. it was very sales-driven organization. And Satya Nadella is coming from more of an engineering. So he makes more engineering-related decisions and, mm. and driving things differently. One of the key things that happened in the market in the last few years was the entrance of the niche players, the tableaus and the clicks. And essentially, when someone leaves uh, Microsoft and they choose to leave Microsoft BI and, and they choose another platform, you're losing the SQL Server footprint and, and the data yes. side of that. So Microsoft 
thought it was so critical you know, for success in the future to make sure that there's still data is, in my mind, data is gold. So you want to provide tools to, to make sure yeah, that, you're, that you're seen with the data and you, you're, you're want, you don't want to not be in that business, basically. Yeah, look, this that's actually really good insight there because the what what I find is um, it's interesting having discussion with product group people only a couple of years back. Um, we kept here like when there was little investment in the BI areas. Um, the the words that were coming back were things like you know we don't sell many licenses just for BI. So and and I was thinking whoa you know like. That, that's that's just a, to me it was a bizarre way of looking at it. The we we have so many sites where the only reason we're in there in the first place is because we're able to get a foothold through the BI tooling, um, or th- things like if you go to an Oracle site and you try and go head to head with the database. I mean, good luck with that because you know the people who are uh, in the way are the ones who've spent their life learning that. I mean, they're they're not going to easily allow that to happen. Like a religion. Uh, yeah. But well, you did see the Gartner as... Magic Quadrant, right, for SQL? Yes. <laughs> that was amazing. So let me talk about, yeah, front end, sell us the back end. Yes, You've yes, yes. You've been this for the... years. Let's just be able to change the colors for crying out loud to match a brand to get a dashboard because yeah. it sells the back end. So what, another thing, Ed, that's really interesting, you notice Satya Nadella shows Power BI in almost yes. all of his sessions. Now yeah. the, 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 the light is turned on, and there's one other piece that you said. It doesn't sell many licenses. So when I mm. used to, years ago, I need to have a tree map, please, please, please. And I had these passionate emails about a tree map, and people were just saying, you're nuts. I'm like, no, we really need this. People need to have this. <laughs> uh, essentially, the, the conversation back was, that's great. Well, tell me how much Excel that's going to sell extra. Yes. And that's that's tough. Or you try to get numbers on how much BI or how much justification you know, to, to lobby for a feature or lobby for investment in people. And it was really tough because SQL Server had so much branded in there. And one of the industry analysts even said to us within the past year, they didn't know Microsoft ever. This is one of the top industry analysts mm. from one of the top firms that's been in the BI space and the big data space and, and whatnot for years. Said so they didn't even know we had BI. Because they never thought mm-hmm. SQL Server was BI. It was really fascinating. That yeah. it was the first time they'd seen in her because it was bundled and watered down by the brand, the the yeah. whole capability, which was fascinating to me. But it made it made sense. So what is different mm-hmm. is there is accountability for a number. We can see how many people are downloading and see how many people are buying licenses. There's a specific SKU. I think the BI SKU was intended to do that, but in the sales field, we all sold Enterprise Edition. We didn't bother with the BI Edition. It was just too... Again, there's there's other reasons for that, too, is that the, the BI SKU... Uh, was actually sold under a different licensing structure. The, uh, it was like a per user rather than per processor. And so, so, so it wasn't even just a level playing field in terms of, of, of how that was sold. And, and another good example is if you go to Azure, um, now and you want to spin up SQL Server VMs, there's standard, there's enterprise, there's no BI one. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, uh, I sort of pointed that out many, many times and it keeps coming back to, 
Ah, uh, yeah, the licensing for that's kind of different, and uh, <laughs> and so on. <laughs> but 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 this this is not See, a good I outcome. Yeah, I was the redheaded stepchild. I swear, until until James Phillips came. Yeah. And and so it, it's actually, and I suppose, yeah, as a whole, um, if I look at, uh, I mean, we were always very sad about reporting services, which is, felt like it was abandoned, but now now is getting love, you know, and, and, and that's a great thing. The but, but it was interesting that when you look at the Gartner reports from a couple of years ago, the number one reason why people came to Microsoft BI was reporting, reporting services. Reporting services, that's right. And and yet that was the area being sort of ignored. So it sort I, of felt... I honestly thought uh, in 2012 that it was it was going to be deprecated altogether. Yeah. Everything was going to go into Excel. I, I think that was the the gut feel everybody had. We lost so many reporting services, you know, engineers, the the modeling mm. folks, and the front end folks, etc. Because I think everybody assumed that it was going to die. I was so excited, and certainly um, I provided some feedback on it. I gave a briefing to Microsoft when I was on the outside on the usage of reporting services and how even as a dashboard solution, I, I would keep going back to it because performance point was just unacceptable and, and not flexible yes. enough, and Power BI certainly wasn't decent enough, that I, I kept going back to this most beautiful, wonderful, flexible, deep tool that I could do anything with uh, to meet yeah. the requirements of a, of a real dashboard. Yeah, the the things, obviously the, the number one things that were missing in there were, again, modern browsers, HTML5, report viewer, you know, things like this. Because I, th I think what was, um, I found quite awesome with, uh, with reporting services, uh, 2008R2 was my favorite release. And, uh, and the reason for that is, is I send feedback all the time saying, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? And I normally know when there's a new version about to be released, I get all the emails saying, won't fix, won't fix, won't fix, and so on. But <laughs> 2008 R2 was the version where I got a lot back going, fixed, 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 fixed. And it was just so awesome. Uh, and because what, what was important is they were fixing lots of little things that were the difference between ease of building reports and not. Uh, I'll give you a simple example. I, I had uh, invoices we were printing and they had a page number on it, but then I wanted to print a list of invoices and there was no way to restart the page number on each invoice. Ah. Yeah, things like this. Now, and, and so in 2008 R2, they fixed things like that. And so we got the ability to restart page numbers of groups so, and so, yeah. on, so on and so on. Yeah, all these sorts of things. And uh, Or I wanted to have different output depending upon where it was being rendered to. And so and they gave us the ability to do that. And so all of these things I got back with fixed and I was like so happy because the the difference for someone actually building a report is, is enormous. Um and and the irony is you'll never ever see those things on a marketing brochure. That's right. It, yet they are so important uh to to people. It's uh it's I often say with uh SQL Server 2012 I did sessions various ones all over the world on what's new in 2012, the number one feedback, the best reaction you get from a crowd anywhere in the world was always the fact that in the integration services designer, undo now actually works. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was the number yeah, was one painful. feature in all of oh, 2012. Right? So my and, favorite and feature, I think, is there was, uh, well, at the time it was the power view everybody was excited about, but yeah. I liked alerting. 
I'm still a big yeah. alert, a, a big alerting thing because I don't want oh, to go and stare at everything all the time. I just want to get an alert when my you know threshold has been exceeded or in, in yeah. way, shape, or form, and, and just tell me when I need to know it because there's so much noise in my email to begin with, and I don't have time just to Actually, look at the dashboard all day long. On that, we should talk about SharePoint too. Okay. Uh, because this is an area I'm just seeing so much confusion at the moment. The it, It's sort of interesting. A few years back, I used to think that if SharePoint wasn't in your past, it was sort of in your future if you were doing BI uh, in the Microsoft stack. And, and things like in reporting services, every time we were asking for new things in the portal, they'd say, oh, no, we already have a portal product. It's called SharePoint. And... And and yet that seems to have now come full circle to to where reporting service and things are very much heading back down a native sort of path. Yep. And the SharePoint guys are all going, hang on, you know, what's going on here? Mm. So, mm. This is a great topic. So, A, I want to make sure you know that 3.2 is out. That includes yep. data and integration into reporting services. We do have a public roadmap. I lobbied like crazy to get that so that all of the – our customers and folks that have on-premises and they never hear anything about on-premises from us could understand where we're going hmm. because that was the number one question. I have this. I don't see anything happening in SharePoint. I don't see happen- anything happening on-premises, and that's where all my investments are. Do I need to leave Microsoft? No, but we knew, but none of our customers knew about this. So there is a public roadmap. SharePoint is optional going forward. Yeah. The way it will work best with Power BI, and when we start to roll out the on-premises Power BI desktop reports, we now have DataZen integrated there as a content type mm-hmm. per se. They're calling a mobile report. Mobile report. So kind yep. of think about that concept of the content type inside of SharePoint, but in reporting services instead, that uh, will work best with the native mode, which is really different from the way that we've thought before of the integrated mode being the best way. And again, what what's happening is, and you even saw this actually with Excel themselves. They have their own office online server now that they've, that's a separate install. So it's quite different in 2016 than it's been in the past with SharePoint and these, these other organizations or these pieces trying to integrate with it. They're, they're now standalone servers and we're using more of a, of an embedding like approach that you yes. would have say with, native SSRS, a URL and parameters, enabling mm-hmm. that type of capability. But the reason why was, uh, again, we had someone that was at the very top of the company that was very sales and cross-sell and, and you know, looking at the bottom line of, of the profitability and whatnot, saying, well, let's tie all these things together and sell them all together. And, bundle, you know, essentially, if you had to buy BI, then you had to buy SharePoint. You had to have the latest office. And yeah. You had to have the and and, and yet that, that's Customers people didn't want that. to do that. <laughs> yeah, Customers right. couldn't do it. And the other thing that even, okay, so if they were so awesome and they loved us so much and they did it, the other battle that they had was BI is a really different skill set. is different upgrade paths and whatnot than the enterprise SharePoint portal. It was really, yeah. really, really hard to get groups that would be flexible enough for the BI functionality in their enterprise SharePoint portal. So then they were setting up, well, do we have two portals? And now we've got two SharePoint admins and, oh, all sorts of craziness. So SharePoint was really our biggest blocker on Mm. sales and how many escalations that we would get in as to very, very large deals that it was just too difficult. So bringing it back to being standalone 
makes Microsoft much more competitive with, we have one server, it's reporting services, you have your operational reports in there, you have your mobile reports, and mobile reports is essentially your data zone friendly reports, and you have Power BI Desktop. Uh, you know, we have a standalone, you spin it up and you go, and it's not it's not a half million dollar server. It is some of these yeah. other competing solutions. But essentially, Microsoft is making a comeback, and, and I know I'm biased, but I really do believe it's making a, a comeback in being competitive in the BI space and in having, hey, this is a SKU for BI, and it does everything you need to do without all this other craziness to make it happen, which is removing mm. the thick friction. Actually, you mentioned SKUs. That, that's that's uh, an area that's passionately interesting <laughs> to me um, because, again, you know, I, I look at this and I spend most of my time in software houses, and the bottom line is they're only going to write code once. And, you know, many of them have to deploy on standard edition or BI edition or enterprise edition. And the minute there's an enterprise only feature uh, or something like that, they simply won't use it at all. So it, it's as though there's no point at even being in the product because they won't touch it. Um, and so this, this is one of the things I see as a real challenge going forward is the one thing I could see that could harm this is if they have it, these things as they add them limited to very specific SKUs. So I don't have the authority. Uh, I don't even think we're allowed to, to talk about SKUs yet. I don't have the details. Mm. I know one of the things you've asked me, though, is going to happen that you've been yep. that, that you've been complaining about is actually Oh, yes. yes. One, one, yes. one of the things that you sent me an email is going to happen. <laughs> I did, I did yes. get enough insight in that, but I wasn't allowed to share it. Uh, but, I, but I generally agree Absolutely. with you. I, I totally and completely agree with you that in order. So I will say ph philosophically, if I think about the philosophy that Santia has, and it's more engineering, let's just make sure we, we get the data. We, we don't lose that business. We are attractive to ISV. So even if you look at Microsoft in general, what is shocking to me is coming back and saying, oh, we're partners with Oracle, or oh, we're partners, we love Linux. It's like, what? Oh, yes, God. Yes, it's just, new Microsoft. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's shocking. So what I would say there is really if you look at the underlying goals of the organization, they, they want to be relevant, and, and it's all about essentially eventually getting data to the cloud. Uh, yeah. and you can't do that if you don't have an, you know, if you're not working with the data on-prem, you're going to lose that business altogether in the future. Mm -hmm. um, I would suspect, and my guess is that you'll see a better story for ISVs and developers than you've ever saw before. And we're already seeing that yeah. premium and, and being fairly cheap on the, the pricing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, those, those sorts of areas are, are really good. It's, uh, it's actually, uh, I have to give a um, shout out to James Phillips, who I've, I've been so impressed with uh, so many of the things he's done uh, in these areas yet. But the thing that I liked most is I saw a keynote he gave a while back, and it was interesting the way he was talking about opening up the product, uh, you know, essentially starting to build an ecosystem around the product. I, I loved hearing those words. So he's a uh, developer, right? He's a developer yeah. <laughs> that coded himself uh, when he was putting himself through school and, and sold software. He's very, in fact, he's really funny. His eyes will light up if you do a hackathon. Like, literally, oh, there's a, I, I had a mock-up of the community site when I was pitching mm. this concept and having a inspirations gallery, and here's what the events will look like. And I just put a thing about uh, a little image of, and it said that hackathon on there. His eyes, oh, we're going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> this is hilarious. 
but yeah, he's very developer friendly. Uh, but I wouldn't mm. even say it's it's just him. I I think that there's a whole group, and, and enough not enough people give credit to the other folks. So James cuts through mm. the politics, you know, to make say Power BI Desktop standalone from Excel. But there are yep. a lot of folks in the background that um, have had some hard lessons learned, and mm. now they have somebody like James to get some of the things maybe we've been asking for for years and years and years. Yeah, one one of the things I've found is that in in the past, um, probably a big area of frustration is that the the product group I think has been very used to building a product and selling a product, and the problem is when you're trying to appeal to developers, they want to buy into an ecosystem, not just buy a product, and and so the as soon as you start opening things up and doing things and so on, it just it changes the conversation entirely, um, and it's it's I, I find that really quite fascinating. I love the way they opened up the visualizations as a as a great example. Um, and for those that uh, haven't had a look at that, I mean, effectively they took the visualizations, uh, the different types of charts and things like that that were in use, pushed them up into GitHub where people could download them and and look at them, uh, but then people could extend them and start building their own visualizations and things over the top of that. That that is a complete breath of fresh air and that's across microsoft right so again mm. the philosophy that you open it up you open up the ecosystem you work with open source and essentially at the end of the day you want to have the developers you want to be working with the data if you're going to win in the cloud world and in the race to zero against amazon and google and ibm and everybody else that wants to be in that game you need to be developer friendly and 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 win the apps so win the apps is really really important uh, not just yeah. for Power BI across Microsoft. Yeah, look, it it completely is, and and I look at uh, it, it's an area I still sort of push very very hard in the in the SQL Server areas as well. The uh, I, I if I look at all the things that have been added over recent years, they tend to be very uh, lately HA disaster recovery, very DBA focused type things. Um, and what's what's missing lately is a lot of the developer focus and. Uh, I, I just I'm starting to see some of that coming back in, and it, it's just so important because when, when I look at a, a cloud-first future, uh, you know most of the things that they've been focusing on in recent years will be seen as a role for the hosting company, not as a role for someone who's using the service. Uh, and and the only thing I think is going to matter is how good a platform it is to build for. And that's going to be how efficiently can I write code, how well can I test code, you know, how can I extend things. Like all those things are going to be the important thing. Not, you know, can you have six replicas or eight replicas? You know, that that's my take on it. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's excellent insight, right? And so, yeah, I, I think um, that that sort of cloud first world. I'm just hoping that sort of thinking starts to pervade a lot more areas. So, so as I said, I found it a real breath of fresh air. Just simply listen to him sort of talking about a number of those things in around the Power BI area. And the other thing with Power BI too, we should mention, is that there is an API as well. There's already beginnings of an API, a developer API. There is, and there was from the get-go. Again, this is an influence from an organization all the way from the top down to expand the ecosystem and be developer-friendly. We need to win the apps. And we can't build everything ourselves. So we had, it wasn't a focus area, so you didn't see a whole lot happening there, but we had an API you could push live real-time data sets, which was very, very cool. 
We mm. integrated into things like Azure Streaming Analytics and Azure ML and Azure Data Factory. So tying all these things together to make it very, very easy to do things like event hubs, being just a button-click item yep. for highly scalable solutions, and that's very hot. Essentially, now that the base product itself, so again, front-end sells the back-end. If we'd spent too much time putting together the APIs, and the front end's changing as much as they change and, and not having a solid enough front end, we wouldn't have the adoption, the excitement that you're seeing right now. So the heavy focus, yeah. and you're still seeing a heavy focus right now on just what we would call the non-technical user and the business analyst user, all those types of features. It's missing a lot of enterprise features right now that we're going to be working on in spring because of that, we, we need to sell first to the business that the business is buying. There was an interesting finding, I think it was by Forrester, since you had mentioned them earlier, mm. that had said the tipping point happened last year with 50% now of the business buyers choosing the analytics platform, not the IT buyers. Yes. And so we appealed to them. So now we're starting to see things like Enterprise Gateway, and you'll start to see some of the enterprise features. You'll see the APIs and much more focus on this now that we have a solid front end for mm. folks. Yeah, it becomes super, super, super important. Yeah, this this all going forward. Listen, one of one of the challenges, though, I suppose, with things coming out absolutely nonstop, <laughs> how, how do you think, when, you know, when you do get to an enterprise or even a normal user, one of the real challenges is that things just keep changing nonstop. And yeah. so what does that mean for learning? What does it mean for blog posts and things that are out of date in a flash? Uh, oh. What does it mean for just that general sort of support? It is difficult. So I will say even in evangelism, for instance, the webinar I did yesterday, I got the build the night before at 10. And, mm. you know, the list of all the features and whatnot, that was coming out maybe a little bit earlier that day. So I was scrambling. And I don't think I've done a single webinar this year that I haven't had to stay up all night the night before completely scrambling yeah. because we didn't have the build and we're just moving so fast and so much, you know, the UIs had changed. You can prepare the decks and then all of a sudden, you know, that build comes out. <laughs> Things have moved. Yep. I just finished uh, uh, contributing and helping KLH out with his book. And mm -hmm. I told him I felt so bad. I said, well, you know, the UIs are going to change again in January. So I feel bad for anybody that's doing that. Our UX team um, and our documentation team, they're hiring like crazy because it's so hard to go back then and go and say, okay, well, we now have updated the menus and the UI and the look and feel. So now we have to go back in the docs and re-update all those UIs. So there's a lot of work. It's moving more digital in general. So it's harder to do yeah. things like the printed book that Teo just accomplished. Uh, but it is tougher to keep up. I, I would have to say... Even our own team and our own sales team is saying, oh, my gosh, you're moving too fast. And the leadership team will tell you, too bad, so sad. We need to catch up and we're yep. not slowing down. So figure it mm. out. <laughs> Actually, even uh, I suppose the same thing, too, uh, traditional training becomes nigh on impossible, where, you know, where people would develop courseware and and, and so on. That sort of, that sort of thing becomes so hard to, to keep up uh, yeah. in, in terms of. Right, it's changing. Yeah, so one of the things that, and I talked to our team, oh gosh, I guess it would be about a year ago from now, and said one of the things that when I was independent, you know, having that training, folks make a living doing that training, it does take a long time to put the curriculum together. If we can empower them with the digital content, 
and let them just, you know, provide that content for free. So if I wanted to go bike, if I wanted to do an official Microsoft training course, I had to go through all these trainings to be an MCT, and mm-hmm. I had to go buy the official curriculum, you know, and invest in that. Each time, because it's supposedly a one-time use, and I said, these are, but if you want to get adoption, you want people to learn this, you got to make it as easy as possible. So you're yeah. seeing things like dashboard in a day, and you're seeing us providing the content. You're seeing us do things like edX. So if anything, I would say to folks that make a living doing training, get your con, just get the content. We're providing it for free. Get the content mm-hmm. uh, from Power BI directly. And also, the other thing to be aware of is Microsoft's investing heavily in providing free training. It's part of what is called in this transformation of the old Microsoft to the new Microsoft that's going to be cloud-based and more digital. It's called the customer success and market teams. Hmm. They're doing a lot of free training. They're they're doing free POCs. So a lot of work maybe that our smaller independent MVPs might do or, or some of the consultants might do, that work now is being provided for free by teams of folks being hired in what we're calling the the customer success, and it's a software as a service model that we're moving mm. towards. So it's different. Yeah, yeah. I must admit, even locally, we have uh, the partner pack practice enablement for partners, and yeah, uh, we've been out delivering a bunch of content for Microsoft on on these topics. Yeah, it, it's uh, there's quite a bit of that sort of thing happening. Yeah. Uh, as I said, I think the uh, the constant churn with the updates is a challenge. How do you see that playing out in an enterprise, though? I, so it's um, interesting. I am getting some early feedback that folks are afraid to roll out because they want to. They can't control when, you know, when they take an update or what, what the update's mm-hmm. going to look like. That's essentially if you buy Salesforce, right? You can't really tell Salesforce too bad. So sad, we're not going to update this week. We don't feel yep. like it. Uh, it. It is. It is a real concern. Uh, I don't think we have. Uh, we don't really have an answer mm. to that. It, it's. It's pretty much. This is the way that the software as a service world comes. I, I think it's going to be an industry challenge going forward. It, it, I mean, absolutely, just, uh, yeah. Beyond hmm. Microsoft, and certainly people haven't have continued to adopt Salesforce and all these other. I guess Workday is maybe another one. Hmm. Uh, it's really popular out there. Oh, it's not just to say. As I said, even the Azure things. Like you know, literally, we we would get uh, courseware. I could step through it at. 10 o'clock on a Sunday <laughs> night and have it absolutely perfect. And Monday morning it doesn't work, you know. <laughs> like, I know. Like, uh, uh, that, that's, uh, that's just completely diabolical. The, the, um, actually, the, the one, but I think the other thing, as I said, uh, it's not even just sort of um, course materials and things. Uh, it, it's also the, uh, one of the, the things that we've had over the years is this huge body of community content where you can look at things and see how to do things and so on, and that's been built. And when that gets sort of obliterated all the time, that, that that's that's uh, going to make it sort of tougher going forward um, for someone who just comes to it. Um, I agree. Uh, fresh. I agree. And well, actually, the same. I was trying to keep up, right? So we had Power Pivot yeah. in Excel. And if you try to do searches on it, and even people try to search on things today, they're getting sent to the office site or they're getting sent to some other site. Yep. And it is confusing. And look, actually, um, it's interesting uh, as a case study, the Azure site, uh, the fact they've had the old and new portal, nearly every piece of online content was in the old portal. They've changed to the new portal now and and basically obliterated almost every piece of uh, (laughs) blog posts and documentation and things that, that were previously there that showed people how to do things. Well, I will say that Power, the Power BI team owns a documentation team. They do scramble 
for each one of these releases to make sure that the docs are up to date. Uh, I feel for them. I can't imagine mm-hmm. how much work it is. But essentially, I, they are hiring. So that's not something. Got in the case of, you know, we can't control the office side, but we certainly can control yeah. what you see. And when you go to powerbi.com slash doc, you know, that you, and then you go to mm. support documentation, yeah, 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 yeah. we own that. And yeah. that team is slaving over keeping that up to date. And look, I, I, overall, I think that's actually great. The, and the thing, at least with Power BI, is it's, it's evolving as well, where, as I said, the Azure portal is like, you know, suddenly, like completely and utterly different to the, the, to the previous one. So I was at IT Dev Connections, and I had a, so I had two great sessions there and one disaster, and it was exactly that. I went to the Azure, and I don't go to Azure enough every day. I wanted mm-hmm. to show the Azure Event Hub with the streaming and doing the live end to end. I couldn't even find the menu items. They changed everything yep. on me since the <laughs> night before when I was practicing my demo. And because I'm blind to begin with being an older lady, um, I was, I was, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So look, yeah, I think, I think there are just constant challenges going to, going to come with that. So, yeah. you know, that, but then again, look, as I said, I think, I think if you're in the industry and you don't like dealing with change, you're, you're just in the wrong industry. So, um, so I think I, that I, is. So think about the digital transformation. Would you have ever thought of having an automatic car? I, I, I just oh, oh, I would. Yeah. Uh, uh, the different <laughs> automation that I'm seeing, see, the roles being digitally transformed, it actually scares me a little bit. I'm trying to figure out. Well, gosh. I'm I'm lucky I am in data because data is going to still be a great skill to have. More and more and more of it, yeah. Look, the the day I, 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 if I look at social disruption coming, I think automated driving is just the, the one of the biggest things that's going to roll over the, the planet. And uh, <laughs> the, the day I knew my days of driving were over, I was watching uh, an interview with a guy who went for a drive in one of the Google cars. And, you know, first up, he said it was really boring, which, which is good uh, if, if you have an automated vehicle he said but then it came up to an intersection and it waited longer than he would have waited uh and he was wondering why and then the kid on the push bike who was behind the hedge came across in front of him uh and of course the car had just seen him straight through the hedge with the radar and uh and then I thought, yep, my days of driving are over <laughs> because I'm never going to be able to see through the hedge <laughs> oh no so yeah, no, I, I think I, I could see this happening. What, what's interesting for data, though, um, that has me fascinated, particularly when you start talking about uh, high-speed data. They were saying the uh, the problem at the moment is financial transactions have so much friction in them, uh, in that every transaction is is sort of too expensive to deal with, and we're going to be dealing with unbelievable volumes of transactions. And an example they gave oh. is, of course, cars. Cars that are travelling in a, along a freeway in the morning, for example, and and holding an auction in real time as to who uses which lanes, you know, and, oh, and so on. <laughs> you know, like I, I think people haven't even yet started to comprehend where this stuff is going. Um, <laughs> you know, so, and and the problem is that all of those financial transactions at the moment, there's just too much friction. But we are going to have enormous volumes of them. Well, with the whole the Internet of Things and the exponential nature of everything talking to each other. But this is good for data. This is good for data. This is good to be. (laughs) You know what? I've never been so, so lucky. Even in the massive recession, knowing predictive analytics and knowing how to manipulate data, I actually had the best 
offers, you know, people calling me up just out of the random blue because I knew a cer- I had a certain mix of the, the database skill set and the predictive analytics yep. skill set that was fairly rare when the market crashed. And it was tempting, but I was, well, I don't, you know, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I know all these people. This is a weird time in, in history. I don't want to leave the comfort of knowing all these people next mm-hmm. to me going through this experience together. But so it's listen, been an amazing uh, a journey over the last yeah. few years. I've never been unemployed. And, uh, no. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's been very wonderful. If, you're, if you love this, it's certainly going to still be good to us for a while. Yes, I, I, I definitely think so. So listen, Jim, pretty much getting up to time, but um, what, what's coming up in your world in the near future? Well, aside from the holidays, Mm. essentially getting ready for January typically has announcements. So towards the end of January, look for some mm. exciting announcements from, from Power BI. Good. And awesome. just getting ready for springtime, always conferences, seasons, you have all the conferences and whatnot, and really looking forward to more you know, more of the same, really. So yeah. James which, is Which conferences? He's do you, moved on which? to doing applications now. So mm-hmm. our team's on what I would call autopilot. It's we just go. Yep. Which conferences do you think would be worthwhile next year in this area? That's a great question. So I'm still a big fan of the past BA conference. That's where mm-hmm. a lot of the MVPs uh, are presenting, and the past group has invested a lot of time and energy the past few years on that conference. Yep. So I still highly recommend mm-hmm. that one. Uh, yeah. I went to Informs recently, and mm-hmm. it was the first time I've been a subscriber to their digital analytics magazine for years, and have mm-hmm. wanted to go, but I but I didn't get a chance to go while my session I submitted was accepted on real time analytics. And when I went there, I was shocked at how much I'd been missing out on all these years because the right folks, if you love analytics, were there. It was like the head of Disney and the head of the airlines and all these massive companies that had their directors of analytics and the folks actually doing advanced analytics. So from a networking perspective with other people in the industry doing analytics and advanced analytics, Informs was amazing. And I'll mm. go I'll go to that again. And if I had my my way, I would love to get to Strata. I've never been to a Strata. Mm-hmm. But I think that's, you know, if you're in the world of big data and data, I would just love to see some of those sessions. And if you know the fellow named Denny Lee, Yep. To work at Microsoft, whatnot. He's now, I think, he's an evangelist at MapR. He was saying, though, you know, when I asked him what would be really good good conferences to go to, he had recommended uh, the Strata as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, listen, thank you so very much for your time today, Jen. Uh, it's um, wonderful to get to have a chat to you. Well, have a lovely holiday and, and try and, I guess, stay cool over there. And of course, the people can try Power BI because. Most of it's free to try. It is. Yeah, and it's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jen. It's actually pretty good. People like it. <laughs> Wonderful. What do you know? Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. All right, take care.